You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome to the Munkinass St. Louis Honda Sports on a Sunday morning. Here's the pitch. A swing and a high fly ball. This could be trouble. It's at the wall. And it's a gunner! He scores! Now, sports on a Sunday morning on America's Sports Voice, KMOX. I'm Tom Ackerman, and we are joined by Dan Deardorff at his home here in St. Louis. And, uh, gosh, I just uh, kind of walked over. You and I are pretty, <laughs> <laughs> pretty close by. I uh, would say, uh, what do you figure, 100 yards? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Well, I can't not, believe... much more than, not much more than a sandwich, I'll say that. <laughs> That's right. I can't believe we haven't done this before. Uh, thank you for having me over, and it's a, a real treat to be able to chat. You and I just talked for a while before we even – turned on the recorder and i i like that i i just have always appreciated you and i like being able i feel like you and i could just sit here and tell stories forever we only have an hour with commercials here this hour but we'll have some fun doing it and i think that's part of our business isn't it in radio if you think back to your career at kmox we're storytellers and you're one of the best well it's it's uh, everybody would always you know i the majority of my career was was in television but I started in radio, and people would always ask me, um, don't you love doing television? And I, I said, yeah, I, I do, but nothing is better than radio. Nothing is better than radio. I said, in, in television, you are always chasing the picture. You've got to talk about what's on the screen, or the guy at home is going, what the heck is he talking about? Uh, there's a freedom in radio that once you get used to it, it can really spoil you because you you only go where you want to go. You're you're telling the story that you want to tell, and um, I I look back on my days at Camo X and uh, with nothing but uh, great fondness. It was a wonderful part of my life. How did it start for you? Terrific offensive lineman with the St. Louis Cardinals and before that the University of Michigan. We're going to talk about those experiences. But it was fairly quickly, wasn't it, that you transitioned into radio? Well, I I, I actually did it while I was still mm-hmm. playing for the Cardinals. I, I will give Bill Bidwell credit. Uh, he did not have a problem with me working at Camo X while I was still an active player. So uh, I retired from football in 83. Uh, I would say in 1976, um, I started doing some part-time work at uh, uh, Camo X. I actually filled in. Jim Bakken and Jim Hart had a radio show. They do an hour on Saturday afternoon. They called it the arm and the leg. And Jim Bakken uh, went to his home state of Wisconsin for like a three-week vacation. And I don't know whose idea it was, but they asked me if I would sit in uh, with Jim Hart for those three weeks while Jim Bakken was gone. And all I can tell you is the red light came on, and I just started to talk. And uh, it went from there. Uh, and Robert Highland was... Uh, uh, Robert Highland uh, had an influence on my life that uh, 
I will never forget. He was a special man, a very influential man here in St. Louis. And I know that his presence meant a lot to you, that you knew that when he spoke, everything that he said had a purpose to it. And with KMOX's best interests in mind, but he took great care of the people that worked for him, didn't he? Well, he most certainly did. He was demanding. Uh, he was imposing. Uh, there are so many stories uh, that surround Bob Island, but the the simple truth, and I'm not, uh, you had to live in St. Louis at the time and be active in St. Louis, but the reality is Bob Highland was the general manager of an AM radio station. That's, that's what he was. Uh, in an era where FM radio had appeared on the scene and everybody loved FM and all that. Bob Highland was the general manager of an AM radio station. And he was the most powerful man in the city of St. Louis. Now, what kind of person do you have to be to for that to be your launching pad to go where Bob Highland went? And there is no disputing that Bob Highland was the most powerful man in the city of St. Louis. He could build coalitions. He could get anybody basically to do just about anything for the betterment of the city of St. Louis. Was, what was his feedback on your work early on when you started back in 1976? Uh, it was all very positive. It was, uh, uh, you know, now, I, you know, technically I, I was part of the sports department. And, you know, just imagine uh, I'm sitting in that sports department and I'm sitting there with Jack Buck. Uh, I'm sitting there with Bill Wilkerson. I'm sitting there with Dan Kelly. I'm sitting there with Bob Costas. I'm sitting there with Gary Bender. Uh, where Jack Carney's walking around, uh, Bob Hardy. Uh, I worked at Camo X when it was a... Uh, to call it a juggernaut is, uh, uh, it's not nearly descriptive enough. But yeah, I worked for Jack and, and so I got plenty of feedback from Jack and it was, uh, it was some of the most constructive. It was, it was, it was wonderful. You can hear Jack Buck in you. What did you learn from him in, in his style? Well, Jack, uh, uh, first of all, Jack, uh, he always, Dan, just, just talk like you're, you're talking to the guy sitting on the bar stool next to you. And then, you know, one year, uh, my first year, uh, Jack and I were actually the broadcast team for the uh, football Cardinals in 1984. Uh, Jack, it was as hard as that is to believe, we were the radio team for the Cardinals in 84. And I'll never forget this as long as I live. One time we went to a commercial break and Jack... Uh, you know, gave me the signal to take off my, my headset. And uh, I, I, I said, what? He goes, I just want to give you a heads up that since the last time we went to a commercial break, you used the word incredible uh, three times. And he goes, Dan, that, that can really be irritating. So do this. He goes, he says, get a Rolodex in your head of adjectives. And don't use, when you use one, put it away. 
put it away and don't use it for and I've never forgotten that I mean that that was that was my upbringing that's the kind of thing that I got exposed to that uh, I mean that when he had that conversation with me that was a long long time ago and I've never forgotten it it, you talk about a guy who could light up a room. Oh. What an unbelievable person and ambassador for this city. Can't say enough. I, I, I imagine that when you started to spend some time with him and you saw how people reacted to him, you realized who you were dealing with there. Um, I'm so fortunate that uh, 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 Jack was such a part of my life that he was so much more than than uh, just my boss at KMOX. Uh, uh, we, uh, we got to spend so much time together. Uh, he brought me into his poker club. Uh, we would, I, I'll tell you one of the things that was really dear to me was uh, uh, later on when I started doing Monday Night Football, uh, Jack uh, was doing Monday Night Football with Hank Stram on CBS radio. And, and, and I would be there doing it, obviously, for ABC television. And uh, uh, we had a lot of money at TV, so I always had a limousine at my disposal when I went to the airport. Ja I'd go in before Jack. Jack would sometimes not come in till Monday. But on Tuesday mornings, we would always fly home together. And we'd be at different hotels and I would swing by and pick up Jack, and 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 we'd go to the airport together, and we'd be on the airplane together. We'd sit together. I'd go, "You need a ride home?" He'd go, "No, Carol's picking me up." And I, I got I got to spend around the holidays. I I got to spend so much time with with Jack, and uh, uh, I was blessed. I, an extraordinary man. Uh, he lived not far from where we sit, actually. I've been to his house, <laughs> been to his house many times, and you know. And Joe gets upset when, I, but uh, we would go down to spring training, and 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 Mr. Highland would want me to go down there, and I'd host some radio shows from down there, and and uh, so we'd be at the ballpark, and I'd I'd go up to the press box, and I'd I'd watch. Uh, we were there at Old Al Lang Stadium, mm -hmm. and I'd I'd be up behind Jack and and Mike. And Joe, Joe was, uh, Joe would be running around. And I, Joe couldn't have been more than eight or nine years old when, when I'm up there. And I, I'll, I'll never, Joe gets upset when I tell his story, Joe. <laughs> I hope you're not listening. But I, I, I put my knee up on a, on a chair and I sat Joe up on my knee so he could see over his dad and, and Mike Shannon. And, and, uh, you know, after about, Ten minutes, my leg went to sleep because Joe was Joe was a substantial young man, <laughs> and, and my leg fell. And I I remember the last time I told this story in Joe's presence, and he goes, he said, "You know, Dan, I'm really over that story." <laughs> Sorry, Joe. <laughs> Way it goes, but you were chunky. <laughs> <laughs> that is Dan Deardorff, and that eight-year-old boy, Joe Buck, is going to call the Super Bowl today on Fox 50 years after his dad, Jack Buck, called his only Super Bowl on television. Also, 
a Super Bowl involving the Chiefs. More from Dan Deardorff on Joe Buck and on football coming up after the break. I'm Tom Ackerman, sports on a Sunday morning on KMOX. Welcome back to the Munkinass St. Louis Honda Sports on a Sunday morning. Munkinass St. Louis Honda on South Lindbergh on America's Sports Voice, KMOX. Joe, what does it mean to you to put on the headset and call the most popular football game in the world and uh, one of the biggest sporting events in the world? It's it's a thrill. It's intimidating a bit. Uh, it's fun. It's nerve wracking, and I'm glad it's every three years and not every year. Uh, it's you know you get that hype in the two weeks of of build up, and you, know, you get a million storylines, and uh, everybody's got an opinion, and then you know eventually they kick off, and that's kind of my my experience with it. Eventually they they do put the ball in the air. And there's one team trying to go one way and another team trying to go the other. And you just sit back and call it and do what you've done all year. But you can let it get in your head a little bit and you try to avoid that. And, you know, it's you're going to have over 100 million people watching. And, and it's, uh, you know, I've been in plenty of Super Bowl parties. I think it's a stretch to say people are actually keyed in to everything the announcers are saying. Maybe the game's on mute. Uh, but uh, it, it's fun, and I'll, I'll make it a family affair. My wife will be there. My daughters will be there. And, and so we try to enjoy it. And, uh, you know, being in Miami and South Beach and good weather, that's that's kind of an added bonus. We're back on KMOX Profiles. Tom Ackerman with Hall of Famer Dan Deardorff. We were talking about Joe Buck before the break, and what a great person he is. I, I just – people don't know him behind the scenes like you and I do. I know that he is the face of Fox Sports, so he'll receive criticism that broadcasters are going to get it. I mean, you have to have a thick skin in this business. But what I love about Joe is he's just he's just real, and he is so self-deprecating. I thought his book was phenomenal. I love hearing stories about the connection he has with his father, but also how he, he took this career on his own and... and dealt with some self-doubt he's like he is like an open book in a lot of ways i really respect joe in that way don't you well having a famous father uh, a hall of fame father can't be easy and and you know joe talks about it you know being the blessing that you know obviously jack got joe into the business and gave him a leg up uh but there there you know that's a pretty high bar uh, when you're the son of Jack Buck. And uh, uh, all the things you said about Joe is self-deprecating sense of humor, uh, all this and all that. Uh, I, I'll just say two things about Joe. One, the quality of the human being. Uh, Joe Buck is a fine man. He's a great father. Uh, he is, he he's just a good person. I I don't think Joe has ever done anything malicious to anyone his entire life. Secondly, uh, I don't care who your father is. When you have talent like Joe Buck, that didn't come from anybody else but you. No one is responsible for Joe's success except Joe. Joe is remarkably talented. And I have worked 
I have worked with what I always thought was the best play-by-play guy that I've ever been with. That's Al Michaels. I wish I could have done an event with with Joe Buck because I I I, I put Joe and Al Michaels there stride for stride. That I mean Joe Buck is he he just damn good. He is outstanding in everything he does. And, I mean, and again, we're not talking about that because I know him. Right. I'm just trying to be as analytical as I possibly could be. Oh, you know, yes, Joe has detractors. So does Al Michaels. So did John Madden. So did so does everybody. everybody. I, I had I got hate mail from both cities. That's the only way you knew you were doing a good job <laughs> if you got the same. It's a, it's it, familiarity breeds contempt and and the more people see you uh, the more they like to get on your case but the reality is simply this uh, Joe is where he is because Joe is tremendous you had a tremendous career in broadcasting and continue it with Michigan and we've had some fun reliving some of your X days and I just, you know, when I think of the St. Louis Cardinals, that team in the 1970s, coached by Don Coryell, had to have been some of the most fun. A team that was in, especially in 1975, your division championship, a team that never did make it uh, to where you wanted to be ultimately. But what was that like then? I mean, this was a football town in the 1970s, without question. Yeah, you know, we always, hey, let's, you know, too many people always want to talk about St. Louis as a, as a baseball town, and they, they want to say that at the expense of, uh, of, of football. Hey, the reality is we were all baseball Cardinal fans. We, how could you not? It's one of the, it's one of the most storied franchises in the history of any sport. I don't care, football, basketball, whatever. So it is what it is. But just we carved out, I think, uh, a, a real segment of the St. Louis population that loved us. And this is a good football town. Uh, we proved it when the Rams were here, uh, and I thought we proved it when the uh, football Cardinals were here. Um, it's got nothing to do with how successful the baseball Cardinals were. We we had success, and I'll tell you what we had. Um, we had um, characters. We had personality. We we had some guys that were just really entertaining. I'll leave it at that. <laughs> I saw a picture of the offensive line together in the locker room, uh, and I thought about it's a great picture, and you all have your arms around each other after a game, and I, and I thought about what – that must have been like day to day showing up to work. It's tough. I mean, you're in the NFL. Oh, yeah. Blocking is difficult work, especially pass blocking, which you had to do quite often. I, I, I have to guess that because of the people that you were with, you looked forward to getting there and getting things done. I was, uh, uh, I was in a locker room with Jackie Smith and Jim Hart and Jim Bakken and uh, Larry Wilson. And uh, I haven't even gotten around to the loony bins in my offensive line room. But I mean, it was the, the example that was set before us, Ernie McMillan and Irv Goody and all of these guys. It was, uh, uh, you're right, we did not win. 
uh, the big game. We did, we never went to the Super Bowl or anything like that. But we were a uh, we were some collective group of personalities. We we I think people enjoyed us because uh, uh, there in an era where you didn't look at football as entertainment. I think there was a level of entertainment with those old football teams. Did you have to keep them in line? I mean, I don't picture you as as somebody that I mean, Conrad Dobler. Yes. Was when I say that name, what comes to mind? Uh, Conrad was uh, a a guy who proved that uh, want to uh, might be the single most important part of any athlete's makeup. Conrad wasn't the greatest athlete. He wasn't the most skilled technician. Um, he survived initially because he wanted to do it more than anybody um, uh, that I knew. Uh, he had a competitive uh, fire that it, it burned white hot. And uh, he, he, w- he was really different in that regard. I know that you're very proud of your career. I have to imagine that this makes you ultimately the most proud is that you know you are from Canton, Ohio and you get to see your bust <laughs> in the Hall of Fame you mean that one <laughs> yeah in Canton, Ohio I mean I can't even imagine what no. that's like no I grew up a mile uh, from the Pro Football Hall of Fame uh, I stood there uh, and when I was 13 years old with my father uh, we watched uh, Pete Roselle uh, turn over a spadeful of dirt to begin construction of the building. Uh, as it turns out, there was another Hall of Famer at that, in that crowd, too, from about 25 miles up the road. Larry Zonka was uh, standing there with his father as well. But I used to ride my bike down there while it was under construction. I went to every Hall of Fame game and enshrinement until I started playing in the NFL. And uh, I am the only person in the Pro Football Hall of Fame that uh, if I would have so chosen to do so, I could have slept in my own bed and got up and put on my yellow jacket and walked down to the Hall of Fame in about 15 or 20 minutes. Uh, my, my, mother's, my father had passed away, but my mother still lived in the house where I grew up, and uh, all, I only lived a mile away, so... Yes, it's. And by the way, while I'm telling Hall of Fame stories, I'm going to regress for one minute. And just um, when I was a freshman at the University of Michigan, I am sitting in a class and I became friends with the guy uh, seated next to me. And uh, uh, we have uh, we did not know how our lives were going to intersect and how our lives were going to be so similar in so many regards. But I re- we really be- became friends. The guy sitting next to me in Ann Arbor, Michigan in 1967 was Ted Simmons. Come on. Wow. Ted, Ted's from Detroit. Part of his deal when he signed with the Cardinals was that they paid for him to go to the University of Michigan. And uh, Ted leans over to me and he goes, I'm not going to be here for a couple days. I said, where are you going? Well, they want me to go sit in the dugout. They're in the World Series. This is the fall of 1967. I think they were, was that when they played the Red Sox? Or, yes. And, and so I turn on the TV. I'm watching the World Series, and there's the guy sitting next to me. 
And of course, Ted went to spring training and never came back. But uh, uh, I'm just so happy for him and his. He's going to Cooperstown, and I'm really happy about it. Two more things. I, I, I should say this. People always want to know, how's Dan doing? How are you getting around? Uh, how are you feeling? And, and how's the family? Uh, I am very healthy. Uh, I am uh, uh, orthopedically. Uh, I'm a mess. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, uh, I'm, I, I, I have difficulty walking. Uh, uh, that's no secret. Anybody who sees me around town knows that. Um, people will ask me, is it, uh, do you have any animosity towards the game of football? And uh, I, I'm really quick to tell everybody, uh, I'm not like this because of the game of football. I'm like this because of AstroTurf. I'm like this because every single day we practiced on the floor of Bush Stadium. We had AstroTurf put in for training camp for two a days. Mm -hmm. uh, and if you were never on that old AstroTurf, it is nothing but asphalt with a piece of indoor outdoor carpet rolled over it. You might as we might as well have been parking. We might as well have been practicing on the parking lot of South County Center. It ground every one of us, ground our joints into dust. We didn't know what was happening to it. It wasn't football. Uh, I'm I'm crippled because of astroturf. When you look back at your 13-year career in the league, what stands out to you? Um, the the friendships. Uh, that I made because we can't, I can't look back at all the celebrations we had carrying the Lombardi trophy around. Right. But uh, uh, I had lunch yesterday with uh, uh, Tim Carney and Jackie Smith and Johnny Rowland and Tim Van Gelder and Jim Hannafin. <laughs> That's pretty good. Yeah. And we, we get together, we just had lunch. Said we just, uh, you make friendships that, uh, that last a lifetime. I, 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 I'm so fortunate. I, hey, I'm college football Hall of Fame, the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Uh, I, I, how, who dreams that? Who, who sits around and thinks that that could actually happen to them? But I, 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 I will always just look back and the friendships that I have to this day with Jackie and Conrad Dobler and Ernie McMillan and you know Mel Gray and and Jimmy Hart and. It's you, you can't put a price on that. I appreciate this time very much. And if you ever, you know, run low on eggs or milk, or if you need a couple beers or something, you just let me know. I'll come down, come down the hill. You could roll down the hill. You, can, you know, but you know, I've learned that that's where the rich people live up oh, on the right. hill. Yeah, right. So I, you know, I'm. It's it's so nice of you to come down here and visit the people in the lowlands. I really appreciate that. It's it. It's a real testament to what a, what a fine human being you are. Oh, it's absolutely my pleasure. You're blushing. Dan Deardorff, <laughs> really appreciate it. Thank you. You're very welcome. Love it. Well, we love him. Dan Deardorff, great to have him on KMOX. Uh, I mean, enough of that silliness there at the end. No, he's, he's the best. We will take a quick timeout. We come back, another good man. John Mosellock joins us. The Cardinals president of baseball operations is next on KMOX. Welcome back to the Munkadass St. Louis Honda Sports on a Sunday morning. Munkadass pre-owned on South Limburg on America's Sports Voice, KMOX. 
Welcome back to Sports on a Sunday Morning. We've had a lot of fun talking about so many things. This really is a good time to be a St. Louis sports fan. I mean, Isaac Bruce goes into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. The Super Bowl is today. I know we have a lot of Chiefs fans in town, and we're excited for you. And it's a beautiful day to get outside and enjoy the day before the big game. And joining us is the Cardinals president of baseball operations, John Mosellock. It's February 2nd. We're getting closer to pitchers and catchers reporting. And this weather today kind of feels like a baseball day. I'm ready to get after it. Yeah, it certainly does. Um, it's hard to believe that that majority of our team will probably be uh, down in Jupiter probably sometime this week. Uh, most of the front office and, and staff will um, also start to migrate down there uh, this week as well. And, and I'll find myself on a plane, I think, next Saturday or Sunday. So right around the corner, and uh, I think a, a day like today makes you start thinking about baseball for real. I posted on Twitter yesterday that we were playing baseball games this month. In fact, you're three weeks away as of yesterday from the first game here on KMOX, the Cardinals and the Mets. Somebody said on there, I don't know if you really pay attention to Twitter, but somebody said on there, well, those games are meaningless. You know, some some smart aleck. And I said, not for some players, they're not meaningless. I mean, they, these games are important, aren't they, John Mosellock? For everybody, there's going to be some competition down there. Yeah, I think like, like when you define importance, it's it's really for a lot of individuals on what they're specifically trying to work on, what they're trying to, what types of impressions they're trying to make, and and so when you think about spring training, I mean, I agree, it doesn't factor in, in into the the uh, 162 game season, but what happens over the next six weeks is is, is critical, and it it really helps set up uh, not only how you think about your club and, and and sort of the culture that you want to see in that clubhouse, but it also gives you a, a sneak peek at a lot of the talent that you may be tapping into during the year. It gives you a real clean idea of what that depth chart looks like, and so. You know, I would imagine there's there's a lot of individuals as they enter camp, they know they need to have a, a big step forward. And so, you know, we could go through the roster, and I think everybody would have a point of, of what they're trying to do um, from the best players down to uh, the last guy on your 40-man. But, you know, that, that comment isn't true. And the part that makes spring training so exciting is is because there are so many underlying stories that individuals are trying to do. It, it does make it very captivating and, and fun to follow. I think that it's a, a spring training that's intriguing because this team is coming off an NL Central title, and you want to see what they can do to take those steps to do it again. There seems to be a lot of depth, certainly in the area of pitching and defense. We can talk forever about the offense and what you can and can't do to, to make that happen, but right now it's about seeing what you have and moving forward with that. What did you learn while everybody was in town uh, during the winter warm-up, taking, uh, meeting with trainers, at, at, just overall, what does that do for you, getting all the guys together here in St. Louis just a couple of weeks ago? So one of the things that we've tried to institute over the last few years is, is, is having a much better idea of what the individual's doing in the offseason. And there are specific players that from time to time will have one of our, our staff members from, from the medical team fly out and meet with them, especially if they have certain benchmarks that they need to be achieving or meeting. Uh, but the purpose of that big gathering when we're here for winter warm-up is, is really to get a status check. And why is that important? Because you still have three to four weeks to address something physically if it needs to be done. 
But, you know, my one takeaway from this year's uh, winter warm-up in, in terms of the medical side, guys really uh, use their off-season well. And, you know, I think that's very encouraging for us. I think the message from our medical staff is being heard. And when you're thinking about these individuals in terms of their career and how they're investing in it, they're taking advantage of it. Carlos Martinez says he's 100% ready to go and wants to get after that starting rotation. You know, I had John Gant sitting with me at one point during our interview session, and he said, hey, well, I'd like a crack at that rotation. There, There's going to be some competition, isn't there, for that fifth spot? It really is. And I think probably the thing that's most complicated for for Mike Schilt and Mike Maddox is going to be to, to find innings. Um, I was actually on a call earlier uh, this week with, with Mad Dog just trying to think about strategy for B games because there's so many individuals that want the opportunity to, to compete for a rotation spot, but the innings just aren't going to be there unless we get creative. And so I think you'll you'll see a lot of that when you're down in camp, especially early on, just to give everybody a chance to, to touch the ball and also try to go two, three, four innings uh, before we have to make more serious decisions at the midpoint. How about Yadier Molina stepping up there? And he was in a great mood. It was great to catch up with him backstage. And then he went and did a press conference and said, hey, look, I, I'd like to be a Cardinal, uh, continue to be. And if I continue to play for a couple more years, I want it to be with the Cardinals. Uh, that certainly makes fans feel good. How did that make you feel? Well, the good news is he's under contract for this year. <laughs> I, I do think at some point, I'll sit down with his agent and, and see if uh, what that next chapter or, or, or contract might look like. Haven't spent a whole lot of time to date on it, just with everything else going on, but I certainly imagine some point this spring we'll connect. Marcelo Zuna goes to the Braves, and you had to handle so many questions about a certain third baseman, uh, a spectacular third baseman in the National League. How did you handle all of that, uh, aside from the fact, now that we know that Ozuna is elsewhere, but the questions uh, that keep coming your way about a player of Arenado's magnitude and how how do you deal with that? How do you look at that entire process, I guess I would say? Well, I think that the easiest way to, to do this is, is to try to have transparency and, and some honesty. And, you know, obviously when you sit in my seat, not everything that is talked about or discussed can be something that you share with the public because, as you can imagine, there's 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 implications, if you will, to other individuals. And, you know, the last thing you want is is members of your current team to feel like they are being uh, um, singled out or, or being trade bait when you don't know if something may or may not happen. And so, you know, clearly the, the month of January had a little bit more stress than normal when it, when it comes to, to talking about player acquisitions, whether it's free agency or, or trade. But as I've stated to you, for the entire month of January, and I'll begin the month of February, saying that you know, we are excited about our club, and we feel that that we're creating some opportunities for individuals that in the past just haven't really gotten that chance. Hopefully they take advantage of it, and if they do, we'll be a very good team. You know, something that you and Mike Gersh also repeated in the media was that there really is no deadline necessary. There's one deadline, and that's the end of July, but... You know, we we get these sort of like 
false deadlines. Like there's, you have to have something before the warm up, or you have to have something before pitchers and catchers. Isn't the reality that it's always changing? I mean, gosh, in 2000, Jim Edmonds came to the team at the end of spring training. Man, you know, things are things are constantly evaluated, are they not? They are. I do think like those major like spring training trades are. are you don't see them as often as you you might have years ago. I also think the trade market's it's changed a little bit because there is that emphasis on June, July, and then you know sort of like marquee names tend to to also be moved in the off season. But when you're talking about you know franchise type players, those those deals are complicated. So you know just to echo the point we've tried to make all off season is there really is no off season. It's it's just a perpetual type of roster management, and we try to do our very best to maximize that. Final thing, uh, how will you enjoy today? little Chiefs 49ers, little Super Bowl uh, watching with friends and family? Yeah, so I think I will uh, cheer on the Chiefs, of course, yeah. for our home state. And then, um, yeah, I should have a, a pretty relaxing day, hopefully, and uh, enjoy the sunshine and, and you know, it's it's nice to see sun. I think it's been about three weeks for me since I've actually seen one, so it's great. Well, it won't be long. We'll be having it all the time down in Jupiter, Florida. I always look forward to seeing you down there, and we will catch up soon. Thank you for these visits as always. Thank you. Be well. John Mosellock, Cardinals President of Baseball Operations. We'll be right back. We'll preview Super Bowl 54 next on KMOX. Welcome back to the Munkinass St. Louis Honda Sports on a Sunday morning. Munkinass St. Louis Honda on South Lindbergh. On America's Sports Voice, KMOX. Welcome back to the show. Tom Ackerman with you. It is time. Super Bowl 54 is right around the corner. We've had a lot of fun on the show today, but let's hear a little bit about tonight's game. It's a 5.30 start in Miami at Hard Rock Stadium, the home of the Miami Dolphins. Pete Prisco is a senior NFL columnist for CBSSports.com. The 49ers have a great pass rush. It starts with uh, Nick Bosa, but you also have DeForest Buckner and Eric Armstead, and they can get after the quarterback. They had 48 sacks during the season. Uh, they can pressure the quarterback and force him outside the pocket. The problem is they've had uh, some issues with mobile quarterbacks, and Patrick Mahomes, uh, as we've seen in the postseason, can get outside the pocket and create uh, plays with his arm and with his legs. He can absolutely do that, and Prisco adds. The Chiefs have improved on defense early in the season. They had problems. They were giving up about 140 yards a game on the ground. They've cut that down uh, the last six games of the year and the two playoff games to under 100. So I think it's going to be a little tougher sledding for Mostert and the 49ers, but that's what they want to do. Even if they fall behind, they will run the football. Raheem Mostert, he had a terrific game, no doubt about it. Who is Prisco's pick? For this game, there are some things that make me a little concerned, uh, particularly defenses. Good defenses have dominated good offenses in the Super Bowl in recent years, uh, and he had trouble against the Chargers, who play the same style of defense as the 49ers. But I think in the end, it ultimately comes down to the great quarterback, and in this one, it will too. I'll take Patrick Mahomes, 31 27 Chiefs. How about that? 31 27. I'm not too far off. I have the Chiefs winning 31 to 20. And for me, the big factor is the speed of the Chiefs receivers. I think if 49ers are playing their zone defense, which they will, that is going to create a lot of openings for the Chiefs receivers to run around. What you do if you're the Chiefs is you go as wide as possible. That formation that Mahomes will set up, he'll have his receiver split as far wide as possible. That's going to stretch that zone out even more, which is going to create more open space to run around. And you know the X factor in this game. 
he could end up being the MVP in this game if it's not Mahomes, and that's Travis Kelsey. Travis Kelsey is a freak. He makes uh, he's like Rob Gronkowski. I mean, he can make things happen with his strength, but he has good speed too. He absolutely can. Here is Clark Judge. What does he think from CBS Sports? I, I think the biggest factor will be um, the Chiefs' success or lack of success against the run. I mean, I think what um, I think it was Chris Jones said this week. Um, that you want Garoppolo to beat you. I think he's right because he will turn the ball over. He does make mistakes. He, he is a very successful quarterback, but he will turn it over. So make him beat you rather than the running backs because if this is going to be a Green Bay game, that you don't want to play that. And um, if San Francisco's behind, they may be in a little bit of trouble. Um, now, they've come from behind. They did that against New Orleans. But um, they may be in a little bit of trouble because he's going to be throwing and throwing a lot. That's not their game plan. They like running the ball and running it effectively because it's a powerful offensive line. They love playing physical football. And I do think they could and should dominate both sides of the line of scrimmage. If that's the case, Kansas City's in trouble um, because Mahomes can put up points. But he can't put up points if he's sitting on the sidelines. If you can't stop the run, they're just going to be stretching the clock, stretching the chains, keeping them on the sidelines and scoring. And, and that's going to be a problem. I saw it last year with the uh, Patriots in that conference championship game. They were 14 nothing in the first half. Could have been 21 nothing. All they did was run the ball. They ran the ball up and down the field. And, of course, they won the game in overtime. But um, if, if they can stop the run, I think they, they've got a good and very good chance. I'm talking about Kansas City. Wow, here's Kevin Harlan, play-by-play on Westwood One. When you've got that kind of camaraderie and teamwork and selflessness, you know, that makes a big difference. And that's what Mahomes had in Kansas City. Now, listen, he's also got a great coach in Andy Reid, who is wired about, you know, he's, he's had quarterbacks in the past. We know he's taken a Philadelphia team to the Super Bowl. So so he's got the right coach who knows exactly which levers to pull and buttons to push. On the- that would be Andy Reid. Here is Kurt Warner on Patrick Mahomes. Listen to this. The more I watch him, the more I see his creativity within a play. You know, and I kind of break it down like you guys have all seen it. You know, we do the X's and O's and we draw a play up on a board. And your coach goes, like, this is what we think we're going to get and this is how this play, this is how we hope this play works out. And then we know there's 11 guys all over and people running and all this. And some people have the ability to take that play and go, okay, I get that. But I can see, well, it could happen here, or it could happen there, if I just do this, or if that guy does that. And they start to get creative within a play and make different kinds of throws and see things differently than other guys. And that's what, to me, has really impressed me about Patrick and what makes me say, if you have the other two components and then you add that component to it, could he possibly have that best package ever? You know, what, what does that mean at the end of the day? I don't really know. I mean, you can be the talented and the best package, whatever. It's still about success and winning and consistency and all that stuff. But when you put that all together, it excites you about what we might be seeing here based on what we've seen these first two years. You are going to get to see one of the great stars in sports, Patrick Mahomes, playing today. But again, the 49ers with that defense and their ability to rush just four, can they create enough confusion to have Mahomes hold onto that ball for an extra second? That could be a problem for the Chiefs. I still have the Chiefs winning this game. They're just too good offensively. Thanks to James O'Sullivan. I'm Tom Ackerman. Sports on a Sunday morning on KMOX. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. 
Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.